0: To Audio Club, a new music technology podcast from Yorkshire Sound Women Network. I'm Cara C, and each month I'm going to be talking to some amazing women and gender minority audio professionals who will be telling us about their work and also sharing some creative inspiration, career advice, gear tips, and much more. In this episode, we're slowing down and taking a moment to talk about sound art. What is sound art? And where might you find it? And is it purely about sound, or is it also about a state of mind? My guests this time are two sound artists, or artists who happen to work with sound, Ryoko Akama and Amy Beeston. Ryoko is a Japanese-Korean artist and composer living in Huddersfield, who uses everyday items to create kinetic installations that are often driven invisibly by heat, magnetism or gravity. And Amy is a Scottish sound artist and audio researcher living on the island of Orkney in the Highlands of Scotland, whose work explores aspects of nature and the environment in her island home. They share inspirations, reflections and advice on an area of sonic creativity that starts with the world around you. So prepare to immerse yourself in an ear-opening and potentially mind-expanding episode of Audio Club. I think we should start with, what's your interpretation of what sound art is? Ryoko, can you start?
1: Starting with a big question.
0: (laughs) Straight in there.
1: (laughs) Straight in there. I think when the term came up, it wasn't really a term to introduce a new movement, but it was more like a term to open up the world of different galleries and opportunities to those who work with sound as a medium and people started to investigate sound as kind of a part of the theme and research for example I remember Salome Vogelin writing listening to noise and silence and there was a sound art book by Alan Licht so it was quite exciting and now after a decade or a bit more For me, at least, it is a word that hints that there is a sound. So when I say I'm a sound artist, I'm not really categorizing anything, but it's more like it's giving an opportunity for people to listen to something rather than just coming into my installation and experience it as a visual art. So that is a sound art as a word to me, that it's just giving a little hint that. Will you also listen to something whilst you're there?
0: Yeah, it's almost, dare I say, amplifying that sense really, isn't it? Because as you say, if there's the visual sense is very strong, isn't it, for us most of the time anyway, especially in like something like a gallery setting. However, it's almost inviting you to listen a bit more to appreciate that sense, maybe?
1: Yeah. Cause quite often my installation doesn't make any sound.
0: <laughs> so ah. I
1: can happily say if I want to, that, you know, I'm a visual artist or something else, you know, I can be anything. But it is a very comfortable term so that everyone sort of understands something around them about sounds and, and and listening.
0: And the invitation, I guess, as well, you're sort of inviting people in that sense. Yeah. What would be your take on it, Amy?
2: I would 100% agree with Ryoko cool about... It being an art which can be appreciated through multiple senses, but primarily focusing on sound and listening through the ears. I think it's a very wide field with the opportunity to mean different things to different people, partly because the term is not really necessarily very widely accepted still. For instance, if you apply for funding for a particular topic, there's often not a sound art box that you can tick. But in general, it really appreciates sound and listening as the core concerns of the art field. And that could be in terms of the medium and material or the subject. And I think listening itself is a kind of umbrella term also, which can lead into many different fields of study as well. I think given the kind of new technologies that are appearing since sound art really took hold as well, this gives the opportunity to think about not just human listening, but also machine listening and all kind of levels in between with machine-mediated listening as well. So for, for me, yeah, all about sound and listening.
0: Yeah, and I um, wonder how you both came into that world and went down that rabbit hole, if you like. Amy, could you could you tell us a bit about how you landed in that sphere of sound art?
2: Yes, of course. I grew up in a family of musicians Uh, Classical musicians, actually. So there was a very kind of defined world of choosing an instrument and practicing it and performing it, Um, but always interpreting someone else's music, you know, a composer who the performer would then interpret. And that was kind of familiar because it was what I saw all around me, but it didn't really represent the kind of life I wanted to live in terms of traveling a lot and you know, hours that just weren't particularly family-friendly. So I was really looking for a way to be just as deeply connected with sound and that practice of careful listening, but to do it in a way that didn't require late nights and, you know, endless touring. And uh, naively thought that perhaps making sound art and presenting work in a kind of gallery space where I could follow office hours might be a way to do this. So that's how I began. (laughs) Fantastic. And how many years ago would you say that was? Oh, gosh, that was in the late 1990s. Wow. Okay. Yes, you've been in this world over 20 years. Yeah, amazing. In and out, in and out, endlessly. So It keeps drawing you back. Exactly. It's like the center of the circle that I radiate
0: around. Fantastic. And Ryoko, how did you find yourself becoming more engrossed in sound art?
1: Recently, my friend from primary school time told me that I was working in a radio station in a primary school, which I have forgotten about. Um she told me that I was so into using a mixing console. She had a role of picking up the music to play at lunchtime whilst I was fiddling about with knobs and cables and whatsoever. I don't remember at all, but apparently I was doing that for three years. So I'm sure that was the beginning of my interest in more of like a technology and a mechanism of how sound is created and transmitted. In my youth, I was going through different kinds of uh, music to listen to. Up until probably late 90s and early two thousand. I was meeting up with people, uh, including Eliane Radig and wow. these creators who, again, I didn't think influenced me that much at that time so it was kind of experiencing everything without realizing how influential these people are the moment when I think in a retrospect was the most important thing was that when I was um, in the mid-20s I went back to Japan so I was living in the South England and then I went back to Japan um, to start living in a country absolutely in the middle of nowhere, in a mountain. And um, that's when I realized that, okay, I don't really want to make anything as a piece of music, but this listening part of life is very important. Everything started from there. So living in the middle of nowhere in mid-2000 was probably the beginning of my um, interest for sound art. Even though, you know, I didn't use that word, sound art. That's really interesting
0: because it's like the sound has come from silence.
1: Yeah, and then realizing that there wasn't any silence anywhere yeah, in a silent place. True. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's almost, if anything, there's just more space, isn't there, to listen, but there's always sounds. Yeah, there's always sounds. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess when I think about my own work, I really cross over, I think, between the worlds of sound and music. I didn't do music at school. I, I'm not musically changed. I started as an adult. And I remember, like yourself, mm. you're thinking back and going,
1: oh, yeah, I used to be obsessed with the sounds of
0: indicators. Exactly. <laughs> and
1: yeah. It's always coming back later on. Yeah, mm. that's just how I am. And probably that's how you are. Mm.
0: Talking of Eliane Radig, um, she was obviously featured in the recent film Sisters with Transistors as a pioneer of electronic sound. And when I think of Eliane Radig, I think of her as a composer, but also, yeah, she worked a lot with like the sound of planes and stuff like that, didn't she, In city sounds. Yeah. So in a sense, that's sound art as well. Are there any kind of other names and other people that you feel really inspire you I guess
1: yes talking about Eliane she was extraordinarily experimental when you know all started with this electronic synthesizers and all she wasn't that known to the world but she was already doing the feedbacks and microphones and whatever have you it's just recognition came really really light it's really hard to talk about my influence because it comes from everywhere. But um, if I talk about a recent interest that I have, there's an artist called Anna F. Jax. She's from Montreal. And there's this um, artist called Bun Chi. She's from Hong Kong. I really like what they're coming up as a concept and work of art, including visual and sound. And then I can think of, let's say, people like Tamar Harpads. Um, She probably calls herself a visual artist, but always there's something about kinetic sound movements happening in her works. I suppose Liz Lowe, she works with projectors and lights and sound. So she's not particularly sound and music person, but again there's always this kind of mechanical sounds um, involved with her work. And that's just what I'm fascinated by, when someone doesn't really intend to do something, Mm -hmm. but there's always something else in there. So it happens Mm -hmm. the other way too, when someone intended to do something with sound. But actually, visual-wise, it's fascinating. I like looking into that kind of other aspects of a work Fantastic. Amy. I guess there are kind of two kinds
2: of works that I love, one of which is to do with presenting work in a gallery space, and the other is more connected with the kind of themes of climate and so on. In terms of the first, I'm really interested, as I said, about this idea of listening becoming available not only as a topic that the work can be about but as a method that the work can use. So there are two artists that really address this quite uh, centrally in their work for me. One is Lawrence Abu Hamdan, who has a lot of work verging on kind of legal acoustic questions, which might address particular topics of social and political history, but then also present a wider context in an artwork in a gallery space. So for instance... A kind of ear witness attitude about him so instead of a private investigator he calls himself a private ear at one point i think adam basanta also uses a lot of kind of it's it's the idea of a feedback session in a room so he has a piece called a room listening to itself where you have microphones and loudspeakers in the same space which is something i'm always trying to do in the kind of main block of my own work and it's really thinking about when you have this technological closed circuit, for many, many years we've been doing that in an audio domain, but now with a computer insert, we can kind of begin to look at aspects of the sound rather than the sound itself. So perhaps deriving um, pitch or loudness contours and so on. So that's the kind of work that I was fascinated by for many years, but um, since moving to a rural island location myself, I'm 100% focused really on environmental works now, kind of ecological sound art. And I think quite a lot of collectives are able to focus on this kind of work. So I think within Yorkshire, Invisible Flock are quite busy doing this kind of work. Um, But I'm also listening quite often to things by Jana Winderen and and Leah Barkley, who are really uh, particularly looking at water related sounds so underwater recordings um in the ocean or glaciers and rivers and so on yeah i think that sound offers a good way for people to begin to kind of connect with those wider themes of climate change that may not be so easily presentable through the eye or simply through the brain
0: and it's a particular sense that yeah it's a different way of communicating isn't it a different way of connecting us with the world and us with ourselves I guess. Yeah
2: it really enters our body doesn't it in a way that you know we might perceive a visual environment kind of outside of ourselves whereas if we close our eyes the sound appears inside us and yeah it's a very personal way of experiencing the world.
0: And physical as well something I've been aware of making my last album how especially when you start to work with like binaural or different kind of spatial placements or um choreography i see it and in a sense it the sound can also be very physical can't it That was an extract from Amy Soundscape Saltwater Incursion, part of a gallery piece where two field recordings are merged using flood prediction data to imagine the effects of climate change on her local area. So I imagine you both have pieces or work that's um, presented in galleries. Um, What can be the challenges of trying to get your work in a gallery but also actually setting it up because I know there's a lot of logistics and it's it just things need to be switched on and off don't they and things like that how does that tend to work Amy do you want to
2: start yeah so I mean the gallery has a lot of advantages in that people if they're able to get into the space and uh, not put off by some of the barriers that might be there then they can come in and out when it suits them instead of waiting for start of an event and can also share the experiences it's happening you know to bring people in and repeat visits and so on which is great but galleries are typically set up to be good for visual work so you know big white walls and uh, quite often hard plain surfaces that are very reverberant and give a very noisy environment which can be distracting you know and especially if you have other visitors making noise that's not experienced. So the actual acoustics can be difficult, let alone the mechanics of being there to create kind of essentially a protocol for how the work should be turned on and off, whether it runs constantly for, you know, it could be for months or whether it needs to be switched on and off as the building opens or put on a schedule so that people can come at a specific time. And the other thing really is that people can be easily put off. You know, I've heard people say they maybe feel on show if they're busy interacting with the work, or even that they feel kind of greedy if they spend too long experiencing it when they can see that someone else is waiting. Yeah, so there's the kind of physical acoustic problems, but also the kind of social dynamic is still very variable. But I think there are lots of different ways to try this out. Yeah, definitely some successes amongst a lot of terrible experiences as well. And how has it been for you,
0: Ryoko, implementing putting your work so that it can be alive in the gallery space?
1: What I like about is there's no stage, so the experience that everyone has would be more equal. And also, having an installation as my work, I can be an anonymous. <laughs> so I set up my work and I go away, so people don't have to talk to me. <laughs> I think the most advantageous thing is that we can have more time in the space. So I work with the space. So I like spending m- as much time as possible within the space, which has been very difficult during the pandemic. I run an organization called AME and that's what we do. So we give the sound artists and the musicians more space and time for them to create a new piece rather than come and play and everyone enjoys it. So I think that's something that people tend to enjoy. On the contrary to Amy, actually do like the external noises and different sort of um, environmental setup because um, that kind of makes different circumstances for the audiences to experience the work. That this disadvantage I can think of on top of my head is that this still the idea of relationship between the curator and the artist when it's a gallery setup, when you are doing a work as a musician or, or, or performer, you just go and play and then everyone kind of like it's more like ephemeral, you know just temporal experience when it's between you and a gallery they need to know or they like to talk about why it's been made, uh, concept-wise. As much as I like that, sometimes it gets a little bit too much because um, the idea behind the work is often very important in a visual art scene. I tend to talk to technicians more because they, they have a bit more sort of similar-minded to to me. That's just something that um I need to understand a bit more for the future how I work around with with them yeah
0: yeah and what other places have you experienced or presented sound art beyond the gallery space
1: beyond the gallery space yeah outside for example
0: yeah maybe yeah
1: um I've done quite a few performance or short-term installation outside that becomes quite challenging because now the space is so vast and people can come and break your stuff and sometimes steal your stuff as well. But I like that. I always need to think about logistic side of the mechanism, how I run electricities and how I maintain these works. But it is very nice, suddenly, that your viewpoint is the world itself rather than White Cube, so I enjoy that.
0: Lovely. Amy, especially since you've been in Orkney, have you had any interesting platforms to present your work outside of a gallery space?
2: I think, as Ruko mentioned, the difficulty is actually getting power often. So, yeah, in the future, I want to look at kind of methods to do portable power so it can be off grid, because really I've so far just presented work within the towns that are available. One thing that I liked to do was to make a kind of a sound walk that could exist in different ways. So I made a guided sound walk, for instance, through my town, but then also essentially selected a set of highlights from that, which could be presented as individual places. So there's a recording from these spots available to listen in, you know, listen back online, but also a kind of an instruction and a visual prompt that allows people to take a postcard and go to a particular place and listen in a particular way. Definitely the idea there is just to encourage people to spend a little time really getting to know a place better, even if it's a place they may walk every day and pass by without considering it. But I think that there are so many opportunities available um, in time (laughs) One thing, for instance, that I would love to do is to make work that requires the water outside. There's a lot of research on our island at the moment for energy generation. This is up in Orkney. So whether it's wave power or tidal power, I've never experienced one myself, but I know there are a number of tide organs around the world where the sound of the water entering pipes can produce pitched noise. That kind of thing, I just think, would be really lovely to explore when I get the chance. So of course, if you
0: define yourself, if you think, right, I want to be a sound artist. I am a sound artist. I think the artist bit is one part of it. (laughs) The sound is one part of it, the sound exploration, but also what are the strengths and skills you need? I imagine you must need confidence. You must need some kind of belief in what you're doing to be able to present it, to be able to say to people, give me opportunities basically what kind of skills or strengths do you think you need in order to get yourself heard I guess and seen as a sound artist
1: go and wander around and question everything walk around and um, do some strange movements like shaking your heads around or something I'm currently making a new installation on the basis of sine waves listening with a sign tone as a pure tone, you can get a lot of frequencies just as you walk or shift your heads around. So that's just something that I would recommend that you do some weird things or stupid things to, you know, get something out of something. So you know, like a distraction and disruptions and experiencing the experiment and failure. I think for me my work makes sense because of the failure. I stay in the studio and then because I'm not an expert in electricity, I often make fires and in melting something and uh, smoke all the time. But the work always comes out of something like that. So just don't be afraid to do something and just break up something if you're interested in appliances and just try to see what you can and you cannot and Find out what's possible out of your interest for something to do something else. Wonderful. Amy? For me, it's
2: a balance of kind of having a lot of patience and these kind of bursts of development. (laughs) I think I'm probably driven quite a lot by the concept of a work and have to then find the materials that can fit it. So it means being prepared to be a beginner over and over again. And perhaps this links to Ryoko's idea of failure. Just, you know, trying something without the expectation that it will be in the final work. And I think um, because I'm interested in making installations that are able to do some form of listening, then I've had to become quite fluent with, Understanding sound analysis, and partly that's a kind of learning about how sound exists in the world, the acoustics, but also the kind of the psychoacoustics of it, including the sense of listening and the kind of subsequent stages of the brain into music psychology and so on. So for me, all of that is a kind of part alongside the mystery of the sound and the things that you just can't put into words, and the the beauty of things unseen, I suppose. So it's this kind of balance of very practical skills that you can learn and then giving in to the kind of sense of intuition as well. But I think on a very practical level as well, it helps to be able to collaborate with people and to keep trying to patiently find words to help understand one another because that can be quite difficult when you work in a field that isn't so clearly defined and that can bridge gaps into so many different worlds, you know, whether it's a visual art space or music hall or working with um, scientists on an environmental issue. Um, yeah, working in community groups and, yeah, different, different spaces within the town. So, yeah, I think just to keep being patient, to put a lot of priority on communicating and then to learn new skills constantly as they're needed. Mm-hmm. I imagine you both have
0: notebooks do you with visual sketches, doodles, as well as words, because I can imagine it would be useful to collect words, ideas, sketches as you go. If you then have to present that in a verbal form or even to help you develop your ideas. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah wonderful archives one day, the archives of Ryoko and Amy with their amazing stuff. <laughs> I love all that stuff. I love seeing like the archive of Delia Derbyshire and you can just see how she's got all these little shapes for different sounds and, you know, makes perfect nonsense to her. And, you know, the bleeps, she talks about a bleeps and a bloops. And in a lot of my sessions, I've got a swish, a swash and a swoosh, which obviously are very different sounds. Um, yeah. So in that sense, it's almost daring to start your own language, isn't it?
1: Interesting. The last conversation I had with someone else she questioned, so what's the future of the archiving your work? And mm-hmm. that was like, I think it's a question for everyone like us. That do we think about it? Like, you know, how how does that work?
0: I think it could be useful if that was a bit more visible, to be honest. I I love to see the inner workings, if you like. And I think if people are starting out and thinking, oh, how do I find my feet and you know, and find my place in a world like sound art? Yeah, there's lots of university courses that you can do, but beyond that, there's obviously lots of talented artists that haven't taken that route. So in a sense, seeing how other people create their own language or or make sense of it, I think helps you to make sense of your own.
1: Yeah. (laughs) mm <laughs>
0: That's a track called Heat Heat Gravity from In Another Place. A remote collaboration between Ryoko, Anne Eshak, and Tim Shaw, made using found materials, domestic objects, and self-built mechanisms. And if someone was to be starting out making sound art, um what equipment do you think is needed and what isn't needed, if you like? Um Ryoko?
1: Concerning my work? Perhaps um not Emphasize on equipment, but just play around, listening and play objects, and break and see how it's made and what's inside, and don't be afraid. I'm sure Amy's got more technical field recording side of equipment, so probably that's what I would say now.
2: Yeah, I think for me it uh, begins with listening, so much as Ryoko was saying about going out and walking around and shaking your head or doing silly things. I think it can really help to uh, disrupt your listening, perhaps to walk around wearing noise-cancelling headphones or ear defenders or something like this, just to have the feeling of um, separating yourself from the sound of a space for a while so that you appreciate the sound when you get it back. And of course, we all have such different senses of hearing that that can be good to kind of empathize with different people's situations as well. So then once you have a good idea of the sound that's in a space, if you want to begin to capture it, then eventually you need some kind of audio recorder. A lot of people talk about using their phones, but my phones are always so ancient that they don't work for that purpose. But I have a kind of 15-year-old digital audio recorder, which is still going strong. With um, inbuilt microphones that I use a lot, uh, just on the basis that it's a kind of equivalent of a point-and-shoot camera, and you know, if it's in your pocket, it's the best one you've got. I began to do multi-track field recording more recently, just at the beginning of the pandemic, actually, and I think that can be nice to capture more aspects of an environment kind of simultaneously. But uh, in many ways, because you know, we're we're presenting an environment in the end, you know, that can be created and layered outside time in a studio as well. So if you have access to a computer, then that can be a more fluent way to work recording. But I know that a lot of phone apps will now let you do this editing and putting effects on sounds and so on as well. Uh, for me I'm trying to focus now on assessing the environmental cost of the tools I'm using. And that's quite hard to find that information out, but um, really nursing the technology until the end of its life and buying new things secondhand if I can. And I think probably in the next few years, you know, that will become a far stronger issue as well. But yeah, essentially a sound recorder, a way of editing those sounds, and then some form to represent that work. So in the past, I was using laptops and loudspeakers and galleries but I started to try to use smaller pieces of technology that can embed sound within a visual work so that you can hang something on the wall much like a painting and have a way to access sound within that small space so that's something I've been doing a lot but with the I guess the safety concerns of the pandemic that's changed quite a bit you know you don't want to share headphones with somebody so you don't want to be presenting that kind of work in a gallery at the moment. (laughs) So yeah, just to keep fluid and try to think about the experience people will have listening to it.
0: Yeah, and I think you have to be resourceful. I I mean, I I always recommend the Sound on Sound magazine website reader's ads because I always find that a lot of my musical and sound equipment I would buy from there because it's usually tend to be very well looked after and people who are buying new stuff so you're like oh well in that case I can get (laughs) a not quite new thing at a good price and I wonder if both of you know of any kind of good resources online or anywhere that people can find out more about the world of sound art I've got a couple of Instagram accounts that I love I think one's sound art one the one's powerland is it that just posts some awesome examples of of sound art so I wondered if there's anything you you guys could recommend
2: I'm kind of hiding away from social media. (laughs) I I get uh, quite easily distracted and overwhelmed by all the nice, bright, shiny things that other people do. So I feel kind of somewhat out of touch of that. But on the other hand, I do fall for SoundCloud accounts quite often. And I love the kind of, I don't know, some people might call it an audio essay or a sound documentary. Those kind of uh, essentially podcast episodes where you have uh, part of story or the particular uh, feature but also some sound to go with it so I guess my most recent find there was John O'Gilmory's little um, podcast about ecoacoustics and that being one name for the field where artists are particularly interested in ecological and so on topics but the other thing that I do keep in touch with by mailing lists actually are the kind of sound art festivals if I can, so Cryptic Festival and the Sound Festival in Scotland where I am. I think also because of my passion for this environmental topic is the Finnish Bio Art Society and um Liminaria, which is a group based in Italy, of yeah, opening up panel discussions and so on with other sound artists as well, in rural locations
1: particularly. Mm. Rioco? Okay. I was thinking about this question and these books weren't most important, but I think it would be very useful for lots of people. And that's the collections of books on electronics and some sound arts from this publication called O'Reilly publication. And they are connected to the project called Make Project. They had, for example, Nicholas Collins' handmade electronic music book, you know, the classic electronic book that tells you the know-how of basic electronics. And there was another one called Making Things Move by Dustin Roberts, and that's on the same publisher. They expand various interests towards, like, geek mums. So that was a book about how mums can enjoy hacking with children. So, um, I've got several books from them and they've been on my bookshelf um, happily. Personally, I read and read so many kinds of books and so many genres of films. So, it's not particularly just on sound art, but I kind of recommend that it's really beneficial for me to read novels and any books from different culture. So I read, of course, a lot from, you know, Western history of, of novels, but I read a lot from Korea and Japan and, and um, Middle Easterns and, and Africans and all of the um, different authors. And they really talk about various viewpoints of listening and living life and the way that language emphasises on the things, even the same things, you know, like cooking and walking. And uh, it really inspires me. So I would recommend that if, you know, people are interested in sort of listening experiences and life and perceptions of, of sounds, how different cultural people perceive the same thing from different angles and how they express it through language and Yeah, like feelings. Mm, mm, Yeah,
0: definitely adds so much to a story. Uh, There's a few sometimes when I've read things and I'd be like, oh, they're really tuned into the sound. And once you have that and the smell, then it really builds up a stronger stronger sense. You know,
1: yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes you can even smell Mm -hmm. or feel like you're there. Yeah. And that... Feeling is, I think it's it's important to me anyway. Wonderful.
0: I wonder what projects you have cooking at the moment. So either whether it's an area of fascination or a topic of fascination for you at the moment, or whether you're actually working on any pieces that you want to present.
1: So through the pandemic, my work hundred percent vanished from you know making an installation for galleries and and some venues, and um, I was at a loss for a long, long time. And even though when Things were easier for me to go to the studio. I just couldn't. I didn't have any motivation to do anything. And I realized that really I work with a space. So when someone gives me an opportunity, the first question I would ask is, so what is a space like? (laughs) That's how important that was. It's like a new canvas for a painter. So I had to find a way to motivate myself. And it took me months and months and months to come to this kind of idea that, well, I need to use this time as the uh, the most sort of treasurable thing, because I probably wouldn't have this anymore once I get busy. But still, I couldn't find an answer. And then eventually, I got into heat and, and temperature. And everything just started from there. So that's been my theme. Um, and I've been working on several projects already and then i'm probably launching a new project with i've mentioned her Anna F. jacks because now she's into heat and a temperature so we've been discussing every few weeks between montreal and huddersfield what have you done what did you do what did you discover i've created recently a new installation called we are on a balancing act and that was recreated in Berlin without me because I couldn't fly and I'm currently working on more installations based on the heat and temperature idea three ways to comprehend the matter and assimilating and then accommodating so um, it really goes back to what Amy's been saying that um, I think a lot about future and climate and, and political and social issues in the world and when I work with heat and temperature it's like a discovery that everything is dependent on heat and temperature so i feel like a scientist as well in my studio working for my kinetic contraptions really but i just feel like wow this heat and temperature creates every domestic appliances how things work so i'm breaking a lot as i say making fires and and uh, failing a lot um But that's been very interesting for me to understand how temperature works because of the heat.
0: So in terms of your exploration of heat, then, where does sound fit into that? How will it be sound art, if you like?
1: Working with heat and a temperature that comes along with the experiment with the heat. I don't particularly think of creating a sound because the sound comes along anyway whatever you do, whatever something happened, the sound is there when you listen. So my idea of working doesn't necessarily is like, oh, I need to make sound. How can I make the sound out of this experiment? I really don't think like that anymore. Um, it just comes along with what I do every moment. Yeah, of course. That's
0: wonderful. Amy, which rabbit holes in the sound art world are you in right now?
2: I think as a kind of pandemic recovery rabbit hole, I'm trying to do a lot of visual art that helps me to recover more of a sense of sonic voice, let's say. So I have joined a visual arts collective in Orkney and I'm presenting some works with them over the next couple of months, uh, which will have a soundtrack attached, but I think it could be the first time where the vision kind of drives the idea and the sound follows, although I'm not sure if that will stay in that priority to the end of the piece. I'm thinking about making a fictional work for the first time where it's using kind of data sonification to project into the future and try to imagine a solution to some of the difficulties that the climate challenge is posing locally. So to kind of reimagine how things could be and encourage kind of environmentally sustainable living out of some of the opportunities locally. But in order to kind of keep that positivity together, I'm I'm needing to do quite a lot of self-healing, you might say. And I think a lot of people can benefit from that. I hope, (laughs) you know, heal yourself in order to have the capacity to think more spaciously about the planet again.
0: Yeah, we've got a lot of narratives about how it could all go wrong, that we need to be igniting, we need to be firing up that possibility of how it could be as well, don't we? The solutions, if you like. Wonderful. And finally, where could people find your work, either online or offline?
2: Yeah, so I have a website which I update sporadically and not quite as often as I would mean to. That's at com. so A-V for audiovisual and B's B-E-E-S. And then I also like to contribute to um, collaborative projects, as I mentioned, and the one that's most kind of uh, Yorkshire-based, I guess, is the Artists sound art collective that we have in Sheffield, Sona, Uh, And the website for that is sonawomen.co.uk. I think working with them was the last project I had pre-pandemic. So I returned from that. Unsure whether I would be allowed back onto my island, but very grateful to get there and look forward to doing more with them again in the future. Fantastic. Ryoko.
1: My website is www.ryokoakama.com and I call around an organisation Called Ame, that's www.amespace.uk. And then I co run an independent publisher called Mume Publishing, so that's mumepublishing.com. Ame is going to kick off with a mini festival in September in a space in Huddersfield, Dai Hall and i'll be presenting one of my works in a group exhibition as well as the other main artists yeah you could all come along if you have time and it should be online as well fantastic thank you so much
0: both of you for your time your insight your passion for sound and sound art and um, i wish you all the best with your work thank you
2: thank you very much
0: audio club is a podcast from yorkshire sound women network presented by me Cara c and edited by joe kennedy the theme music is by iwan obinyan and it was produced by abby bliss this podcast is supported using public funding by the national lottery through arts council england to find out more about yorkshire sound women network you can visit
1: yorkshiresoundwomen.com thank you for listening